Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of reminded, took me back to grade three, Mrs. Pearson's class. She taught us, tried to, etiquette. Good morning, class. And we would say, good morning, Mrs. Pearson. And uh, that kind of reminded me this every morning. She taught us to make that greeting first thing in the morning. There was a man who died. He stood before the pearly gates of heaven. St. Peter met him, asked him, what great thing have you accomplished? The man said, well, I was at a truck stop. There was a very large man tattooed from top to bottom in front of me. He was harassing a woman. So I went up to him and I told him to stop it. The man turned to me and said, well, what do you think you're going to do about it? Well, I smacked him, kicked over his motorcycle, pulled out his nose ring and threw it on the ground and said, you'll have to contend with me. St. Peter was pretty impressed and said, well, when did this happen? And said, oh, about two minutes ago. There is a difference between faith and foolishness. And it's important not to get those mixed up. And we are talking some elements of our faith journey, which is how to do life together. And those three words are so key to what we're talking about. Today, we're talking about compelled by love. Would you go with me in your Bibles, 1 John 4, 7? Always encourage, if you have a Bible, bring your Bible, give you opportunity to mark it, to have it there, and to go over it as we go through this passage, the passages that we have Sunday morning. If not, you can go to your devices and look up again, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Follow along as I read this together. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because everybody say those three words together. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent us His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Again, the topic here today is being compelled by God's love. Let's just open our time in prayer. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide. We cannot come up with things, wisdom that is spiritual through fleshly means. It has to be granted by your Spirit. And we ask that you would grant, Holy Spirit, wisdom to understand your words from your Scriptures this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Here's a one-liner. This one-liner I learned years ago. It is a sustainer. Here it is. 
The secret to loving is living love. Really is. The secret to loving is living loved. This is the forgotten first step in so many relationships. Paul prayed a prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. May your roots go deep. And if they don't, then we will be at odd against God's plan for love. So our text this morning says, God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. So I thought the best way to understand God's love, to love, to understand God's love so we might love, is to go to the love chapter. Somebody here tell me what the love chapter is. 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, if you didn't know that, it's 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Verses 4 to verse 7, verse 8. They often use this text in uh, wedding ceremonies. So can we just go to this? I want to go through this. We're going to go pretty quick, but I think these these are just going to be power boosters regarding our topic, compelled by God's love. That's our topic. How are we going to be compelled by God's love? So the first one we come to is, um, and oh, something's fun. In this passage right here, in verse 4, 5, 6, 7 of Corinthians 13, it's fun to put your name where the word love is. You can have a lot of fun with it. So, for instance, we go back to verse 4. You put your name, put my name. Wayne is patient. Wayne is kind. Wayne does not envy. Wayne does not boast. If you put your name in there and then kind of go through that, then stand back and, well, how are you doing? Is that really true or is it like the farthest thing from the truth? First one, love is patient. It's interesting to note that the first one wasn't kind, courteous, forgiving. It was patience. Somebody once told me, if if you want patience, don't pray for patience. Never pray for patience because you're going to be tested and then you're going to not like it. I'm going to argue that one. Pray for patience. Pray for patience because it's good. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We need to grow in patience. But guess what? If you pray for it, and expect it. You know, whether you pray for it or don't pray for it, you're going to be tested, aren't you? When it comes to being patient. Patience is a virtue, and patience can be very difficult. If you did a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing on the patient thing? 10 being like you are Jesus himself, kind of, you know? And 1 being you have no friends in life. Okay, and then where are you on this sliding scale of patience? Patience, interestingly enough, in the love chapter, patience is number one. It comes before all the others because it sets the pace for everything else. Patience, and it is meant to be there. The Greek word patient here means taking a long time to boil. It's taking a long time to boil. Now think about a boiling pot. What is the factor that determines the speed at which the pot boils? Not the size of the stove. The speed at which the pot boil will be the intensity of the flame. The intensity of the flame will determine whether or not it's a slow burner or a fast burner. Patience keeps the burner on low. Constantly be guarding regarding patience. Keep the burner on low. Patience waits. Patience listens. Patience is slow to boil. 
I mean, this is how God responds to us, is patiently. And how he asks us to respond to others. Be patient. Love is patience. You see, patient people are also understanding people. Patient people are gracious people. Patient people are merciful people. And before anything else, love is patience. Secondly, love is kind. King David would agree with this one. Psalm 63, 3. He says, speaking of God, your loving kindness is better than life. Wow, life itself. God's loving kindness is actually better than being alive. The word kind here is used to describe food that is healthy and tasty. Not all healthy food is tasty. You know, and so the word could be put in here. I mean, that would be odd if, if someone were to say, hey, honey, what a great meal. The salad was especially kind today. It actually would be appropriate, but we often don't associate health, healthy food with good food. With good, it tends not to be horribly healthy. No, not always the case. But here, when it talks about kindness, kindness is both, it's, it's good for you and it's good for others. Kindness, when you do kind things, man, it sets you apart. It sets you into a place that, if you would, you've heard the, you feel like a million bucks because you were kind. And it helps others. Hmm. Kindness does both. Kindness is good and it's good for you. Kindness is pleasant and it is practical. That's why Jesus, you see Jesus and you observe him in the Gospels, you will see Jesus not only healing people, but touching, loving, and forgiving them. You see him honoring them. You see him demonstrating all of it. And he calls us to do the same. You've heard the expression doing random acts of love. And I think that's great. Look to do random acts of love. But I believe that's really the first step. The second step is let's do regular acts of love. If you only ever leave it to the random moments, then you're randomly going to be not doing acts of love too. But if we can regularly look for opportunities to love, then do so. So let's do some practicals here. <laughs> it's the Christmas season. We're still in York. Thank the Lord. We are in York and not in Peel and Toronto right now, right? Uh, we have the privilege of being able to meet together. And, but having said that, so you go Christmas shopping. Parking lots. I really do dread parking lots in malls and places like that during the Christmas season. Maybe not as much this year, I'm not sure. But um, let's look at the picture here. Um, so random acts of kindness, or let's talk about regular acts of kindness. When you get to that place in the parking lot, do you back off? Do you surrender it or not? Let's go to the uh, shorter lane in the checkout line. Let's look at that one. Do you uh, <laughs> surrender it? Are you kind? Or not. Or you step out of the house, there's a garbage can rolling all over the subdivision in the wind. Will you pick it up for your neighbor and drop it off at their front step or not? Kindness, regular acts of kindness, every day offers us opportunity to demonstrate kindness. Love is kindness. Love is patient, love is kind. Third one, love, now this is the... It, Deals with it in the negative. Does not envy. Does not envy. Envy starts small and grows big. 
Envy never starts big. Always starts very, very small. Just small jealousy or envy. I'm going to equate envy to a flickering flame. You have a picture here of a candle, a flickering flame. Pretty innocent. How many of us wouldn't? I mean, you, a little candle, flickering flame, you can put your finger through it. I mean, don't let your finger stop over top of the flame. That would be a mistake. But you can put your It's just a flickering flame. Flickering flames are innocent. But if you took that flickering flame in your house and that candle got put at the base of your curtain in your living room, would you just shrug your shoulders and again say, it's just a flickering flame? What harm can a flickering flame do? Flickering flame can't hurt anybody. If you put the flickering flame at the bottom of the base of your curtain, you wouldn't do it. You would quickly stomp it out, move the flame. You do whatever it got to get it away. You see, the little flickering flame turns into a blazing house inferno. The picture here is the result of a flickering flame. It started with a flame. Start with flame. Envy starts small. By the nature of itself, it starts small. But if it is not dealt with, it grows and grows. You can't, it goes, it becomes its own monster and it consumes what is around it. You, the growth pattern of fire is it always goes from small to big. The growth pattern of fire, the growth pattern of envy, small to big. What is born in innocence becomes deadly in its adolescence. Left unattended, the fire consumes everything that is consumable. And for the sake of your heart, the same is true when it comes to envy. Don't allow envy to find place in your heart. You quickly look for ways to remove envy, jealousy. Let's go to number four. Love does not boast, is not proud. Probably one of the better ways to illustrate this one, I'm going to give the Norwegians thanks for this one. I want to thank the Norwegians for a term we use today called the pecking order. You heard of the term pecking order? The Norwegians actually came up with it first. The Norwegians are the ones who counted the number of times chickens give and receive pecks. And in so doing, they discern, they discern a chain of command. The alpha bird does most of the pecking. And the omega bird has the most pecks. And all the rest of the chickens are somewhere in the pecking order. That's where it came from. You learned something. So, having said that, the pecking order often making reference here to don't boast. Peck, 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 peck. Don't be proud. Peck, 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 peck. <laughs> 1985. I don't know if you remember those who were alive in 1985. 1985, there was a tornado that uh, was in, went early May of 85 in south central Ontario. And particularly was uh, commemorable for myself because it went right down where the farm I grew up on. My parents were living on the farm at the time. Lori and I were down, uh, had been pastoring for a number of years down, in, uh, down near Sarnia. The tornado landed and Arthur went down a road called the Second Line. Went down the road, went from Arthur to Grand Valley. It's about a 13 to 14 mile stretch. For almost the entire stretch, the tornado set. 
It, it, it wiped out, a number of people died in it. Uh, just outside of Arthur, a number of people died in Grand Valley. The tornado jumped from there, uh, clipped part of Orangeville, but then it branched out. Some went to Tottenham and moved off a bit closer south, moving a bit more this direction. And another branch went up and spouted down in Barrie and took out a significant subdivision. People died in Barrie. Again, I don't know if you do or don't remember that event, but I remember because it, it affected my whole neighborhood. Lori and I showed up at my parents' place a couple of days later, and the problem was a lot of farms, where a lot of barns were destroyed. It didn't, it didn't hit my family place. We were thankful and blessed because it crossed the road. It would, it would uh, zigzag across the road, and it had crossed the road just about uh, a couple of miles before their place and went to the other side of the road and took out the farms. They saw it was across the road. So their neighbors, a lot of dairy farms there, their neighbors, uh, a, few cattle, a few cows were killed. Most lived because they were in the, in the lower structure of the barns. The upper parts got blown off. So there's one neighbor. My dad was going around. He was making sure he had a generator. He was firing up their system. All the hydro lines were all down. Because you have to milk cows twice a day. I mean, you don't have a choice. You've got to milk cows twice a day. And so he was going around circulating between the neighbors, keeping the farmers, the milk flowing. So in the process, there was a neighbor that was also a dairy farmer, uh, Holstein dairy farmers, and, and so their barn was affected. It was pretty much knocked down. We would rebuild it. And so they called in the Mennonite community. Uh, Mennonites, Amish, when in Ontario we have Mennonites. And the Mennonite community, a lot of them came from the Elmira and many from the Niagara region came up by the hundreds. I, I'm probably by the thousands. I joined in with a number of neighbors in the farms, and we were helping to tear down one barn, and, and successful in being able to tear down a barn, take a barn that was two miles, a couple of kilometers away, take it down, move it over, and put it up in three days. And we're not talking a shed. Like, get out of your head, the shed idea. We're talking one of those great big bank barns, that you know, big old bank barns that you drive into the barns. Big barn, massive barn. Uh, milk whole dairy operation. And they did it, and the Mennonite stars, you did it. And so I learned something. Here I was. I was working on the barn. I was up and knocking boards off beams that were dangling, and, and we're getting it set in order to bring in the new construction and put the new barn up. And the Mennonites are just all over the place, hundreds of them, black in their garb, all over the place. This is 1985. I've understood a lot more since. Actually, we would sell our farm to Mennonites, but, and they're friends of the family to this day. But back then, I didn't know a whole lot about the Mennonite community back in 1985. I was in my 20s. And so in this particular moment in time, there was a particular Mennonite man. He was, he was, he was short, stocky, great big brim hat, big old beard came down to his belly, big old belly, sat in the back of his pickup truck barking orders the entire day. I didn't appreciate him, thank you. I was working away, and he just... He was barking orders to all the men and all these other guys, and they were doing all his work. He didn't raise one hammer to do anything. Until partway well into the day, I realized that he was key to the success of the project. He was at the top of the pecking order, okay? And then how we, and I was near the bottom, trust me. I was near the bottom. I was being pecked. We're not simply talking of owners managers, supervisors, foremen. I, we, we have structures in order to put people in place to get things done. Makes sense. It's called the administrative capacity. But in that, there can be the things that are just pecking. 
boastful, prideful. It's about me. And we peck and we belittle and we do that to others. If you are at the bottom, it's not fun being at the bottom. It's a lot more fun being at the top. Not much at all at the bottom of the pecking order. If you're the shortest in the class, if you're the one who can't play in sports, if you're the one who don't make the grades, blah, 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 you get the pecking taking place. And you feel you're at the bottom of that particular food chain. It's for this reason God says love has no place for pecking orders. Matthew chapter 23, verse 5, there's a scripture. Jesus is actually speaking to an alpha bird of his day. They were the Pharisees. They were of the alpha and the pecking order. And Jesus was speaking, and he said in Matthew 23, 5, he says, everything they, and he's pointing at them, everything they do is done for men to see. They make their uh, their phylacteries Wide, their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at their banquets. Most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbis. They love the recognition. Peck, 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 peck. They love it. And Jesus blasts the top birds of the church. Why? Well, how can I love others if my eyes are only on me? How can I point to God if I'm so busy pointing at me. That's a problem. That's what he's addressing here. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Two things I want to close before we move on to the next point. One, put others before yourself. Two, be quick to applaud the success of others. Jesus while he came from glory to the place Philippians 2 said that he humbled himself and became a man. He came from here and went down to here and he did not consider a robbery to do so. And in so doing, Jesus was all right in being known as the carpenter. He was all right in washing someone else's feet. He was all right in serving. He was okay to serve. Likewise, He does it today, too. My Lord continues to serve in that same capacity. You know, when I got up this morning, stretched and began my day, I recognized He gave me a gift. It's called life. And I am privileged to have one more day of life because there are thousands in this nation who today won't have that privilege. He gave me one more day of life. And if I get up tomorrow and by his grace and mercy I have another day, he gave me another day of a gift of life. Who gives life? He does. He gave me a gift. He continues to give life. He gave you that gift too. Do we appreciate it? Do we thank him for the gift of life? And even to be able to come and to sit at his banquet table and to partake of his goodness, he invites you to do so. If Jesus was willing to honor us, can we not be likewise honor others as well? Number five, love is not rude, does not dishonor others. The Greek word for rude is shameful, disgraceful. Love is actually the word courteous. And uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but Jesus is courteous. If anybody had the right to judge and barge in, Jesus does, but he's courteous. Revelations 3.20, it says, Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He knocks. He awaits the invitation. He continues to be courteous. Don't mistake his courteousness for weakness. 
He's courteous. Love is courteous. Love is courteous. Did you know the first five letters of the word courteous? Somebody tell me the first five letters of the word courteous spells? Court. Spells court. And if you think about it, court in old England, to be courteous was to act in the way of the court. That's where the word comes from. To act in the way of the court. And likewise, family, servants of the king of kings expected to follow the higher court. Number six, love is not self-seeking. I want to go to the words of James in James 3.16. Whenever people are jealous or selfish, they cause trouble and do all sorts of cruel things. Yeah, they do, don't they? It's okay. It's okay to desire to be successful. I, I, I think it's okay. Selfishness is an obsession with self that excludes others. It hurts everyone. It's okay to want to be successful. Just don't knock others down for you to be successful. It's okay to wish to look good. That's fine. But don't make someone else look bad for you to look good. That's the issue. So be successful, but not at the sake of another. Look good, but not at the sake of another. That's the point. That's the point. Love builds up relationships. Selfishness erodes relationships. You're very unpopular with selfishness. Next one. Love is not easily angered. The Living Translation says it. Love is not touchy. New Living says love is not irritable. The New English says love is not easily angered. And the message reads, love doesn't fly off the handle. So why is anger related to touchiness, irritability, and flying off the handle? I want to tell you, anger has a very close cousin, and the cousin's name is rejection. Anger, this is psychology, anger is a symptom Anger is not a cause. And frequently, rejection is a cause for anger. So you have to deal not with the anger. You have to deal with the, with the cause. And if rejection is a cause, you've got to go after rejection. Rejection frequently the cause regarding behind that which is taking place regarding anger. Throughout Scripture, you'll notice that where you have anger, you'll have rejection. They always find them showing up together. They walk side by side. Let's use some illustration. Old Testament, story of Jacob. You may or may not know the story. But in the story of Jacob, he was rejected. Jacob, the father, was rejecting the sons. And he had a favorite son, Joseph. And because he had a favorite, the other sons felt rejected. And their rejection turned to anger. They hated Joseph. They tried to kill him. We see another person, King Saul, Old Testament. You can read of him in the Chronicles, the kings. King Saul felt rejected by the people of his court and in feeling rejected, took his anger out on the person that they liked, which was David. He tried to kill him. Anger. Anger, David. Rejection, the people. We can see it, story of Jonah. He's got his own book in the Bible. Jonah, he was a prophet. He felt Rejected by God because God was blessing a city by the name of Nineveh. And Jonah didn't like the people of Nineveh. He had an axe to grind at the people of Nineveh. And because God was showing mercy to Nineveh, Jonah felt rejected by God and he took out his rejection in anger. Actually, the Bible says, Jonah 4.1, it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. 
Rejection, anger, cousins. I wonder, can any of your anger and bitterness be traced to upstream feelings of divine rejection? If rejection causes anger, then what's going to cure it? Now, there's a question. It's not a hypothetical question. So here's the question. Ready? Tap the person, wake them up next to you. Here's the question. If rejection causes anger, what's the cure? Rejection? I'm going to put the word acceptance. Acceptance becomes key to cure. You cannot keep people from rejecting you. Is that a fair statement? You cannot keep people from rejecting you, but you can keep rejections from enraging you based on the level of acceptance. Rejection is a part of life. We're going to face it over and over in every place, everywhere. It's going to happen. But you can keep rejection from enraging you by letting, by grasping as followers of Christ, we compensate for his acceptance of us in the space of rejection of others. How much does he accept me? There's a great book, and I, I didn't have it in the first service, but I, I remember it for the second service. For those who are joining us online, it's by Jack Frost. Um, he's, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord, and it's a book entitled Experiencing Father's Embrace. Experiencing Father's Embrace. And a great read. I, uh, we're we're going to be looking to this in our sod group of teaching. Uh, other areas of ministry, we use it in our our discipleship ministry, cleansing stream ministry, embracing God's, uh, experiencing God's embrace. Uh, I want to talk about this just for a little bit. I want to use an illustration. Try to follow with it. Let's say you live in an apartment. You're in a high-rise. You live in a high-rise. On your windowsill of your room is a daisy, one solitary daisy, a flower. But you just have one. So this morning, you pick up your daisy, you pin it to your lapel, and off to work you go. You enter into your day, work, school, whatever it might be. You've only got one plant, so it's a big deal. This one plant's a big deal, this one little flower. As soon as you're out the door of your apartment, people start picking off your petals. You're, let's say, you, you go to your cafeteria and someone snags your seat just before you get there. I mean, and then you have to go to the other side and a pedal comes off. Let's say you are blamed for a bad report from a coworker where it wasn't your fault. You got blamed for it. That's a three pedal. Three pedals come off. Promotion is given to someone else with less experience. Another pedal is picked. Okay, rejection, rejection, rejection. By the end of the day, you're down to one solitary pedal. And woe to the soul that draws near to that pedal. You're one petal away from blowing up. Your daisy's almost gone. Pause. Now let's change the script. Let's change the scenario. Let's say back at your apartment, the guy next door to you owns a flower shop. And every night on the way home from work, he stops at your place and gives you a fresh, undeserved, yet irresistible bouquet of daisies. A bouquet. These are not leftovers. They're not, they're not bottom of the line. They're top of the line arrangements. Now, let's suppose somebody messes with your flower today. No problem. No problem. 
You got an apartment full of them. You tracking with me here? What's the difference between having one solitary flower and having a bouquet of flowers if your petals are going to get ripped off from people all day long? It's massive. The difference is massive. Beloved, God will load your and my world with flowers, hand-delivered to your door every day. Take them. And when rejection comes, it will. When rejection comes, it will. You won't be left short-pedaled. Take what he's offering. Take what God gives. You won't be left. I think that's a great illustration of his acceptance. So I douse myself knowing what he thinks of me. I douse myself with the truth. I douse myself what it is to be a child of God. And I've got in my Bible, I've written, the back of my Bible, I've written down, handwritten, a hundred promises he has for me. And some of you have been sending them out. I've been emailing people the last couple of months because I've been wanting to share them. They're just so, they're so great. I've been, I'm praying for you. Here's what I'm praying, a prayer promise for you. And I've been sending them out and letting you know, here's a prayer promise for you. I want to share those prayer promises because i got so many of them. And I've got downstairs, I've got in my office, i got a plaque on the wall, and it's all the things God thinks about me. And it's just a lot of good stuff. And I read that. And i got one at home, but what God thinks of me. Why do I have them? Because people are picking my petals all the time. Try to say that one fast five times. And it's my choice if I let them take them all. Because I don't have to. Because God is offering me bouquets of love and acceptance. That might be worth your admission for this morning. He's got a bouquet for you. That's love. That's love. I'm going to go through the next seven very quickly because we're going to close. Here's the next seven. Love keeps no records of wrong, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. I want to tell you an illustration. Anybody ever heard of a ship by the name of Palacano? Okay. That's okay. Um, 1986. Uh, the Pelicano ship became known as the world's most unwanted ship for a few years, 1986. Now, why was this? She was the hobo of the seas, they called her, the Pelicano. Hobo of the seas. She's, she's in the, the books now because of this. The hobo of the seas. Nobody wanted her. Sri Lanka did not want her. Bermuda did not want her. Dominican Republic did not want her. The Netherlands did not want her. Honduras did not want her. No country would allow her to dock. So you ask the obvious question, what is wrong with the Pelicano? Well, nothing, like if the ship was okay. The ship was 466 feet long, bit rusty. Yeah, but what ship out at sea is not? It wasn't because of the ship's owner. The ship's owner was keeping the license up and paying the taxes. It wasn't the owner. That wasn't the problem of the ship. The problem of the ship was not the crew. The crew was nice enough. They were capable and they were able to do their duties. What was the problem that made this Pelicano the hobo of the seas, 1986? The problem was in what she carried. The Pelicano was full of garbage. 15,000 tons of garbage. Orange peels, beer bottles, newspapers, half-eaten hot dogs, tons of garbage. Back in 1986, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, the garbage workers went on strike. The city still piled up their garbage. And so they had to get rid of their garbage. And so the Candle, the owner of the Candle, came up with this harebrained idea that they would turn a quick buck. 
So they got paid to carry and they loaded full of garbage. And then they thought they would turn another, they would give another country and pay them a bit of money and they could dump their load on another country. Problem is, no country wanted the garbage. Doesn't matter what you pay me, I don't want your garbage. And that was the problem. And so they sailed from country to country to country to country asking, would you take our garbage? Right? It's kind of a funny story. Now, I'm sure if you were owners of the Pelican one on the crew, it was not happy at all. And so what happened? Over that period of time, it stunk. It became one big stinking ship sailing from country to country. Nobody wanted her rubbish. Here's the point. Garbage-filled ships find few friends. Garbage-filled hearts find few friends. Have a friendship problem? Garbage-filled hearts find few friends. Life, life has a way of unloading garbage on all of us. Problems here, problems there, this and that. Complaining here, criticizing here, murmuring, griping. It piles up. It's garbage. And when it piles up, it will kill. It kills. It's not innocent. You know, Jesus was killed in the hearts of the people long before they drove the first nail into his hand. Jesus was killed in the hearts of people long before they picked up that first hammer. And today's thoughts are tomorrow's actions. Today's lovelessness is tomorrow's abuse. Today's lust is tomorrow's adultery. Today's guilt is tomorrow's fear. You can just keep playing that on and on. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. The trouble with the Pelicano, the trouble with the Pelicano ship was when she accepted the first shovel full of garbage. That was the moment it was decided. The problem is when she accepted no garbage. She should have said no. The crew should have turned it away at the gate. Life is a lot easier if we do the same when it comes to our history channels of unforgiveness. When there's unforgiveness, we need to say, I'm not going to accept it. 1 Corinthians 10, 5, it says, we capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. Do you get that? We capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. Capture it. When you capture something, that means something's typically running and you're going after it. We say, I will not allow. I capture that thought. I capture the thought to obey Jesus. You get the impression it's a battle. It's a battle. And the enemy's your thoughts. If you continue to let impatience, rudeness, envy, pride, dishonor, self-seeking, anger, dishonesty, mistrust, hopelessness on board your ship, you'll smell like a landfill site. Just because there's garbage in the dock does not mean there has to be garbage on my ship. Amen? Amen? Just because there's garbage in the dock, I don't have to take it. This is love. Compelled by love? Do we have a choice? Absolutely, you have a choice. Absolutely, you do. If there's garbage, yeah, there's, there's, I don't have to take it. I don't have to let it onto my ship. I'm not a victim of my thoughts. 
I heard somebody say this one time. I like this. A little rain can straighten a flower stem. It does. A little love can change a life. It does. So John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The secret to loving is what? Living love. That's good to memorize. Can we say it together? The secret to loving is living love. It is. There's a song. The song goes like this. It says, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. It's not complicated. You are the one our hearts adore. Can we worship him before we go from here? Let's do that. Would you join me in standing? Let's sing it together. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you.
So Lord, we express out our love. We are compelled by your love. God, we accept that love and we reject everything that is against it. Envy, boastfulness, pride, all that stuff. God, we turn it back. We turn it back. We turn it back. We will not allow this shovelful to be on our ship. Lord, we capture every thought and we bring it into obedience to you. So Lord, let love flow. I pray. It's not just because we conjure up more love. It's because we embrace who we are in you. God, we understand the secret to loving is living love. Let it be, we pray, as we go from here. And if that's your prayer, we just say amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.